All right, folks, uh, we're back. Um, again, Woo-hoo! shout out to Apple for um, making it hard to record. <laughs> um, <laughs> however, uh, shout out to the app developer for updating the app so it works with the latest version of um, the operating system for uh, uh, MacBooks. Um, I know we're in the middle of our Bond retrospective, but um, we both just saw a movie, so we're gonna we're gonna be talking about. I guess it's kind of uh, divisive in terms of reception because audiences love it and uh, critics uh, generally don't like it, and we're talking, mm-hmm. ab- uh, of course, about the biopic of one of the most legendary bands of all time, one of the greatest singers of all time still. Um, mm-hmm. Bohemian Rhapsody, starring Rami Malek as Freddie fucking Mercury, darling. <laughs> I just want to just want to say right off the bat, it is a tremendous film. You know, fuck what the critics say. They clearly don't know what they're talking about when... They, when they saw this film, and if this film does not force you to get up out of your seat and start singing along to the awesome music, then I don't know what the hell's wrong with you guys. Yeah. Um, I'm not even, like, a fan of Brian Singer, but, like, he did a pretty good job with this movie. He did. He did. I'll give him credit. For that, he took a break from all the uh, the X Men films. Yeah. <laughs> because he because he finally realized that uh, X Men's kind of going to shit right now. Yeah. Again. Yep. Um. <clears throat> so yeah. Um. Well, I watched this uh, twice. Um. Already. Same. Um. The, the second time, uh, everyone was singing along to every word of the queen songs and when they get to basically the climax of the film everyone was like it was basically like at a live show so it's i haven't like seen a movie like affect people this much since i don't even know actually i can't remember and also like this is probably the first movie to make me cry um in a while (laughs) Mm mm-hmm Definitely. And I got to give credit to Brian Singer for basically recreating the famous uh, Live Aid concert from 1985 at Wembley. It feels like you're actually there with the rest of the crowd as Queen gets up and does their epic performance. And, you know, I'm with you, Aristo. The film brought tears to my eyes in ways that I can't even remember like the longest time. Can't remember the last time a movie did that for me and really just gives you an idea of how special like Freddie Mercury truly was as an individual. Yeah. And of course, like to get it out of the way as well. um, It's not, you know, a hundred percent great, accurate portrayal of the band of like the history. Um, They move things around. Um, quite a few inaccuracies if you're a stickler for that but you know overall um the point of the movie is to tell uh, the story of one man right 
And mm -hmm. in a broad strokes sense, it's, uh, you know, it does its job. So it does. Yeah. It, 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 and the thing with biopics is that if you are a stickler for the details, then pretty much everything is just like, <laughs> there will not be a film good enough for you. Um, exactly. Like last year, uh, darkest hour, like, you know, like it's an okay, like I didn't like it that much, but like as like a Churchill biopic in that time of his life, it's it does its job. Exactly. Now, does it include like Churchill saying, uh, you know, all that shit about like not caring about Bangladeshis dying? No, but, um, you know, real folks uh, know the story. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, you can call that like glossing over or. Uh, stuff but hey it happens in every biopic um, that's true that's true we will never get a 100% true to life biopic about literally any anything or anybody because one they're <laughs> uh, obviously you're going to put together like at least a two hour film so obviously there's some details you're going to gloss over uh, two you know this film is going to you know these films are going to get criticism from literally everybody that is ever associated with whoever's being portrayed so yeah but but like you said we we're basically getting you know a, we're basically getting like a greatest hits yeah right now when it comes to the bohemian rhapsody and for what they give us you know they do a great job mm -hmm. and it's insane really how much Rami Malek in certain scenes looks like Freddie Mercury. Yeah. I think like, I think, um, before the mustache, um, I, I, he's not quite Fre like, yes, he's a great actor. And like in the early, uh, in the earlier period of Freddie's life, he was, um, you know, Rami Malek's like, he does an incredible job, but like when, uh, he transforms to uh, like porn stash Freddie. Like he legitimately looks <laughs> like Freddie Mercury. He does. Like when and he puts he the sunglasses on, he acts like Freddie Mercury. Like it's insane. <laughs> I know. Oh my god! It's like he puts the sunglasses on. You're just like, oh, oh my god. Yeah. It's like uh, you know, like the, yeah, basically like the leather jacket mustache period of Freddie Mercury and like I just kept staring at the screen because it was like damn this is so good like I can't yeah. like it's, like it's such a great almost facsimile of Freddie if you've seen like footage of him in that time period the interviews like the mannerisms and like mm -hmm. his combativeness too Absolutely. Absolutely. Like he nails it down perfectly. He's got the, like the vocal tics, the mannerisms, even, you know, with the, with the couple extra teeth that was yeah, provided yeah. to Rami Malek. I mean, he works it. He works it well. You're not just thinking like, you know, Oh, like he's just using a couple of false teeth. It's like, no, you actually believe he's got an extra pair of incisors. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, <clears throat> apparently uh, during the casting um, 
Malika auditioned and um, had to sing a couple of Queen songs at the world-famous Abbey Road studio. Um, so that's uh, step one. Step two, um, the currently active members of Queen by me, Roger Taylor, they called him in and <laughs> apparently... Made made Rami sit down with them and watch the audition tape together. <laughs> <laughs> right, because they got the uh, what was it like the the wrong like somebody had sent them like the wrong file or something. Yeah, they couldn't like, really I, open I guess it. Like the CD or or the DVD of the footage or songs didn't work, and so they had to get a new one um, immediately. But yeah, um, obviously Rami Malik blew him away. Mm-hmm. Can you can you imagine, like sitting there with like two rock gods watching your own audition tape? Yeah. <laughs> just, <laughs> just like, uh, I'm pretty sure like I'd be walking around the room just going like you know, oh, so, so what do you guys think? Uh, you, you think it's good? You think it's okay? Or or I would have said like you know, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. You, I probably butchered it. Yeah. But uh, I think it was also, um, uh, I forgot which uh, late night talking head he was being interviewed by, but at the Abbey Road Studios, there was a picture of Queen, and apparently, like, he locked eyes with with Freddie's eyes, and Rami Malek just get this uh, voice in his head saying, like, don't fuck this up. (laughs) (laughs) I remember that. Yeah. I remember that. (laughs) Hey, um, I guess most people know him for Mr. Robot um, Mm -hmm. or um, A Night at the Museum, I guess. All three. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) And um, From humble beginnings. Yeah. But yeah, it's, he's he's really grown as an actor. Um, um, he's got basically even people who had negative things to say about this movie, they admitted that like Rami Malek is a shining star of the and yeah, man, uh, they're talking like even more like triple a movies for him oscar nominations even just he's going places man he is this movie is gonna launch him into the stratosphere yeah all right so let's get into it um yeah uh so scene um heathrow airport day uh or i guess uh dusk um (laughs) uh Indian, British, uh, Parsi college student and uh, baggage handler uh, working at, you know, uh, taking shit out of airplanes and uh, experiencing racism as, you know, British people notoriously are in the 70s. Uh, Hell, they invented it. They, you know, basically they did. Um, And yeah, you know, there's some tension in his household. because mm-hmm. uh, his uh, fairly conservative uh, Parsi parents want him to be, you know, basically that's the same thing. Uh, it, if you're an immigrant, you really un- identify with this movie, uh, like I did. <laughs> so, 
Um, yeah. <laughs> it, even even then, if you come from a family with high expectations, then you also identify with this movie. Um, but yeah, at night, you know, he goes and sees uh, this band uh, at a nightclub with uh, like a mediocre kind of singer, and he's. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, he enjoys the energy of rock gigs and um, manages to uh, finds himself backstage and um, try to try to talk to um, the band Smile, mm-hmm. which was uh, the name at the time. Uh huh. And yeah, uh, before he does that, though, he meets uh, the woman who eventually would become. Uh, in his words, the love of his life, uh, Mary Austin. Yeah. Um, which, yeah, the the first, not necessarily the first, but one of the big inaccuracies is that, like, Freddie and Mary didn't meet that way. Right. Uh, but uh, you know what? We'll, <laughs> we'll give it a sli- we'll give it a slide. <laughs> we'll, we'll let it slide for now. Uh, let's just ignore the fact that. Um, uh, Mary used to date Brian May, and yeah. uh, Freddie had to ask uh, permission before yeah. uh, before going out with her. Yeah, but uh, but that's not important right now. What's important is he goes outside. Uh, the The lead singer of uh, Smile announces that he's leaving the band to join this other band called Humpy Bong, which I hope there's no subtlety to that. <laughs> that's the that's like um, the least. I don't know. Uh, I can extrapolate just from the name. It's probably just some like weird '70s psychedelic prog rock that never went anywhere. Uh, yeah, pretty <laughs> much. <laughs> yeah, they like formed in uh, 1970 and like broke up two years later. Yeah. <laughs> well, two years—that's that's longer than I give up credit for. <laughs> yeah, but I'll bet you that uh, like that that singer Tim Stoffel, he probably said, "Fuck!" Like after yeah. we made it big, "Fuck!" <laughs> I wish I could have I could have been a part of that. Yeah. That could have been mine. But <laughs> anyway, he uh, uh, goes and sees the uh, sees the band uh, guitarist Brian May and drummer Roger Taylor and. The, <laughs> They announced that their singer just quit, and he says, like, you know, like, oh, I could be, uh, you know, your new singer. I write lyrics, and then, then he starts singing one of their songs, <laughs> and I love this, like, in a very, like, very coy and, like, you know, almost uh, snobbish kind of way. He says, like, you know, like, it's like a pleasure, you know, pleasure meeting you guys. I'll consider your offer. Yeah, <laughs> which is so freddy <laughs> uh, absolutely it's like i'll consider your offer <laughs> and like brian and roger are looking at each other just like, like this guy's got some balls on him yeah um so you know uh next of course um he shows up at mary austin's uh, place of work and uh Tries on some pants, which uh, Mary helpfully says, well, these are from the women's section. But he's like, oh, it doesn't matter. (laughs) 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 
Um, yeah, was, so like, yeah, it's the beginning of a a beautiful relationship, you know, lifelong friendship. Uh, mm-hmm. She helps uh, she helps dress him basically and become this like flamboyant uh, rock star that we know and love. Absolutely. She, you know, I, she says, like, I think there's some, I know some things in the store that you'd like. And yeah, gets, uh, gets all dressed up. And I think we'll just, uh, go ahead to the next gig, which is, uh, more or less like the first official queen gig. Uh Uh huh. So, in addition to Freddie, they also got uh, Brian May and Roger Taylor got uh, bass player John Deacon. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Uh, at first, you know, it's typical with uh, Queen's latter experimentations. People really didn't know what to make of him at the gig at first. Uh-huh. Uh, there's a line in the movie where, like, some drunk guy was like, who's that? Who's that package? <laughs> right on stage and like um at first like he's even like freddie's not quite comfortable on stage yet but he gets mm. there and he gets there to keep yourself alive everyone just like yeah this is it this is it he literally rips the microphone off it's uh like off his hinges yeah he, he uses like his uh i don't know if it actually started all the way back then but like he eventually has like a signature style uh you know half length microphone stand which he uses in most of his gigs mm-hmm. um also it's great because it sh- <laughs> like it it already shows uh you know the personalities in the band when uh Brian May continuously throughout the songs like learn the fucking song freddie <laughs> right like he establishes himself as like the more level-headed member of the group it's like like love the lyrics freddy <laughs> by the way it's jarring to me like the similarities between uh Gullam lee who plays brian may and the real brian may it's like did they just get this guy out of a clone factory or something because they look almost 100 percent identical I, I couldn't believe it. I'm just like that's what oh my god Thank, thankfully they didn't do like any uncanny valley shit on the real Brian May <laughs> okay um, yeah that, the guy they got to play Brian May Willem Lee I jeez hmm. man I'm surprised there wasn't a scene in the movie where old May and young May share screen time. <laughs> I know. It's so uncanny. Like, are you sure they're not related? <laughs> I don't know. They, like, they might be. Yeah. Um, I also thought um, the, the John Deacon actor was a reasonable enough uh, lookalike. But Roger Taylor's uh, actor, what it isn't quite uh, the same. No, 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 no. Roger Taylor's actor, who who is portrayed very well. Yeah, he don't get us looks wrong. Like, yeah, don't get us wrong. It's just like he always looks like whenever like there's a moment where 
you know, they like jump forward ahead in time. It almost it always looks like he's still the same age, like each time. Yeah. It's like they plucked some like random 17, 18 year old kid off the street and just said, hey, you're Roger Taylor. Yeah. <laughs> uh, ben Hardy. Uh, ben Hardy. Credit, credits. Oh, he was um, in a Brian Singer joint before. Uh, <laughs> One of the X Men films? Oh, X Men Apocalypse. He was uh, Archangel. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Now, now it's starting to be familiar. Yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah. Uh, a- after the first performance, obviously, they, you know. <laughs> I love to see where they, like, they sell their van just to get a, a recording time at, like, this little, uh, little dumpy studio. Yeah. Like, never mind, never mind the fact that they don't show. It's like, okay, well, if they sold their van, how do they actually get to the studio? Yeah. Um, you know, uh, basically stayed up all night experimenting, doing all kinds of weird shit with, um, you know, there's uh, lampshades involved, uh, sixpence coins on, like, drum heads, um Weird, like beer bottles and pianos, you know, all <laughs> kinds of weird experimental shit, which absolutely, uh, hopefully, you know, uh, catches the attention of an exec. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, and that eventually leads to uh, a contract with the EMI Records. Yeah. Um. um Game of Thrones fans, um, the manager uh, at this point is um, Littlefinger. <laughs> That's right. I saw it with a friend of mine, and she's a gigantic Game of Thrones yeah. fan. When uh, when he first came on the screen, I kept nudging her, and she started squealing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Aiden Gillen's been in like some pretty weird film roles, and I'm like, yeah, like, cool. <laughs> but good for him, though. Yeah, like, he's yeah. been in literally everything that you could think of. Like, he was in fucking Shanghai Nights, of all things. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think that was the first time I remember seeing him in something. Same. Then he I was in was... Dark Knight Rises, um, one of the CIA agents that Bane kills. Um, That's right, on the plane. Sing Street. Um, Sing Street and uh, the East London King Arthur mm-hmm. by Guy Ritchie. Uh huh. Oh, that terrible movie. Yeah, Charles, uh, starring uh, Jax Teller from Sons of Anarchy. <laughs> Charlie uh, Hunan. Charlie Hunan. Charlie Human. Charlie Human. Uh, side note if you are not watching uh sons of anarchy spinoff mayans mc you are missing out on what is possibly the greatest anti-trump show of i'm i'm gonna say it right here right now um in perpetuum um in the (laughs) in the eternity of uh internet recordings Mayans MC, the first great show of the Trump era. 
And I'm not talking about great in the way that critics would love because critics hate it. But it's just Kurt Sutter is just on the pulse of current events. This is <laughs> a show with, like, first of all, it's starring a motorcycle gang full of uh, Latinos in in basically in Imperial County, South Southern California. All the men uh, have entire histories written on their face. Their faces have like acne scars and like craggy as shit from being weathered by the desert wind. And Edward James almost is in it. And uh, you get to hear all kinds of cool Spanish like uh, Patron, uh, Familia, and Los Business Negaciones. And, of course, there's an underground tunnel connecting uh, the Mayans' hideout to Mexico, and it is just awesome. <laughs> I'll, have, I'll have to check it out. I'm one of those few people that haven't watched it yet. The first season just ended, and it is a classic fucking Kurt Sutter. If you, <laughs> if you love the first few seasons of Sons of Anarchy, if you love The Shield, this is... This is Kurt Sutter is back, baby. After he tried to do whatever th that dumb bullshit with uh, the bastard executioner was. The what? Yeah, he had like a show which was basically like FX's Game of Thrones. Oh. But it obviously it didn't take. So he's back. Uh, obviously, because he's, he's just gonna <laughs> write like about different ethnic motorcycle clubs for the rest of time. He's done like weird, like NorCal, you know, redneck type of bikers. Now he's doing SoCal, uh, Latino, and uh, Mexican bikers. Um, mm -hmm. I'm excited to see what ethnic group is going to be in the next Sun spinoff. <laughs> mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see if Mayans MC becomes a big success. Maybe in the next two oh, years, it's, we'll it's start. It's already hurt. got season two, uh, even oh, before it's got... the first episode finished airing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> oh, man. It's... Yeah. Sorry. It's just, I, I just had to shout that out to the universe. It's, it's a great <laughs> show. Um, speaking of Sing Street, um, <clears throat> Sing Street alum, Lucy Boynton, Plays Mary Austin, and I have to say, she looks like a motherfucking snack and a half in this movie. <laughs> that she does. Yeah, I, and I'm not usually into like pale British girls, but she's just like, damn, ma. <laughs> yeah, and she plays the part of uh, Mary Austin yeah. very well. Yeah, um, you know. She was also, I think I mentioned this movie before, but she was also in a in a really good horror movie, The Black Coat's Daughter, with um, Kiernan Shipka and Emma Roberts. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, if you haven't seen that horror movie, it's great. But yeah, anyway, back to um, Bohemian Rhapsody. Back to, back to Bohemian Rhapsody. So, uh, what's his name? What's the little fingers uh, character's name? John uh, oh, John Reed. Yeah, he becomes their manager, and of course they have, like, you know, they're becoming famous. They've released the song uh, Killer Queen. It's gone to number one. They perform on the top of the pops, uh, much to their chagrin, because it's, uh, 
it's all uh, playback and they barely have to play their instruments. Yeah. Um, you know, Top of the Pops, uh, classic British television, you know, top 40 type music. But yeah, every band basically had to mime their way on stage. Pretty much. Pretty much. But then after the success of Killer Queen and their album Sheer Heart Attack, and their, uh, their subsequent uh, U.S. tour in which uh, Freddie uh, begins to question his uh, sexuality. There's a scene uh, where he's calling Mary from this, uh, this like truck stop in the middle of nowhere. And he sees uh, this truck driver going into a bathroom. Yeah, this, this trucker kind of just like gives him a look and a wink and then like goes into the men's room. And mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> um, oh, fun fact that a uh, truck driver is played by Adam Lambert. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Who is now, I guess whenever, um, I think they're doing a residency in Vegas, right? Uh, Queen I plus, so, yeah. um, is doing shows with Adam Lambert, who I guess probably is the, uh, only singer that can approximate Freddie Mercury's voice. Yeah, except that I've, I mean, he's a great singer and everything. I just feel like his voice may be a little bit too high. Yeah, he doesn't have quite like the, I don't know, like the timbre of like Freddie. Who, right. Even though he can go high as shit, he's not as falsetto as like even his bandmate Roger Taylor. Right. And no, also, because, uh, uh, Roger Taylor, I, I have to add as well, he actually has a really raspy voice. He does, yes. Which um, they didn't have in the movie, so... <laughs> no, it's like, he talks very much like this, you know? Yeah. Um, like, like, he, like he just watched 10 episodes of Downton Abbey back to back. Yeah, <laughs> he's very posh. <laughs> he's very posh, yes. Yeah. And... Um, <laughs> But yeah, like you know, Freddie himself was like a natural uh, baritone who just happened to go falsetto, who just happened like to be a like a natural at falsetto. Yeah. But I, mean, I think Adam Lambert. Go ahead. Oh, I think Adam Lambert is like more of a tenor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I get you know, uh, Freddie. W- one of the quirks about him is that yeah his teeth which changed the sh- shape of his mouth so he had more range and like more power than normally a baritone would so he can sing longer and like at different registers I- and sound like the way he did because like you know a he's talented and he knew his voice but b like yeah just like the shape of his face was very conducive to like his singing voice. Absolutely. And he was actually very self-conscious about his, uh, his extra teeth, uh, early on, but he learned to, uh, learn to accept it and just kind of go with it and embrace it. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it was, uh, in one of a later interview, but like he did consider taking out his extra teeth, but then he was thinking, oh, maybe it'll affect my voice, so I'll just not do it. Right. 
And can you can you imagine if that voice wasn't on Bohemian Rhapsody? Yeah, man. Like at this point, they're only three albums in. They they haven't even had most of their most well-known songs. Pretty so, much. Yeah, 1975, recording A Night at the Opera, uh, you know, where um, they they butt heads <laughs> with uh, a certain uh, actor <laughs> uh, about, uh, you know, Queen, uh, why, like, they don't want, why Queen doesn't want to be boxed in and this uh, record exec basically doesn't want... Um, he wants basically bona fide hits all the time, which is very music biz. Yeah, no, it, it's very understandable, like coming from his perspective. But you know, it's Queen. Yeah, <laughs> they, they they can do whatever the hell they want. You know, they don't want to be predictable like everybody else. They don't want to release the same album fifteen times in a row. They want to get experimental. They want to get creative. Yeah. If, I mean, you they know, said just like, like you know, uh, just like uh, Freddie said, it's like we're four misfits uh, that don't belong together, and we're singing to the misfits that don't belong in the back of the room. That's right, that's right. And this uh, executive basically says, like you know, like fine, fine, go do whatever you want. So they go and record the, <laughs> they go and record the song or the album, and. <laughs> <laughs> I love the uh, like as they're uh, recording it when um, uh, Rogers doing his uh, Galileo bit. Yeah. They cut from a, a rooster, and as the ro- rooster opens his mouth, opens its mouth, the, the, the Galileo comes out. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which crack the audience up every time. Yeah, and then of course them in the voting booth, um, Freddie basically running the tape about as thin as it could get just to record Mm -hmm. as many overdubs as he could to mimic the effect of like an operatic chorus. Exactly. (laughs) I love the line that Roger says, like, I feel like my nuts are in my chest right now. Yeah. How many more Galileos can fit on this tape? Who the hell is Galileo? Yeah. (laughs) Scaramouche. (laughs) <laughs> Scaramouche Galileo so they <laughs> they finish the song and they take it back to the uh, curmudgeon uh, EMI executive who says like you know like ugh te- like teenagers are not going to be banging their heads in their car listening to Bohemian Rhapsody yeah <laughs> which God bless Michael Myers for willing to Mike yeah, Myers yeah, for willing yeah. to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> that was a nice wink uh, at the audience and at himself. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. Uh, no, because they basically they, they basically said to him, "It's like you know, like we want you in this movie. We want you to give like a subtle nod to Wayne's World. Like, can yeah. you do that?" He's like, "Yes." Wayne's World, Wayne's World, World. excellent. (laughs) Yeah. So. so. Oh oh, fuck. Oh. Boom. So. You know, they're really facing a lot of pushback from uh, this 
record exec who is based on a real person, but um, not exactly the um, actual person who is uh, butting heads with um, Queen. But mm. Queen basically went behind EMI's back um, after threatening, you know, this record exec, uh, you'll be known as a man who lost Queen. Um, <laughs> yeah. Goes like who forever lost goes, Queen. Yeah. It goes to meet um, a radio DJ and debut the song, you know, being all hush hush and saying, it's like, oh, you're not supposed to play this on the airwaves. <laughs> and, uh, you know, despite, again, despite what the critics say, Bohemian Rhapsody resonates with rock fans and the audience. And yeah, they began to have a world tour. That's right. They start traveling all around the world. And he, Freddie, all of a sudden like begins an affair with uh, one of his, uh, his personal manager, uh, Paul Prenter. And there's that famous scene towards the end where uh, uh, Mary like, kind of forces him to say that, like, you know, he's having an affair and that he says he thinks he's bisexual. And Mary responds, like, Freddie, oh you're God, gay. That's where he's from. Uh, okay, sorry. Uh, the guy who played Paul, like the entire movie, I'm trying to figure out where I've seen him before. And apparently he played Marcus Agrippa on Rome. Are you serious? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. And he was also in Downton Abbey, but uh, I don't fuck with Downton Abbey. <laughs> no. <laughs> you, you, okay. First off, you just now incurred the wrath of uh, millions of Downton Abbey fans across the world. So yes. uh, good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, that's where I've seen him before. Rome. <laughs> Rome. Yeah. Alan Leach. Yep. I was like, it's like, if you take away the mustache, like, you'd recognize him. I was like, why does he look familiar? But yeah, anyway, uh, you know, Freddie shows Mary footage from the tour, uh, the song that uh, he wrote about her. Um, and basically, she confronts him and like, yeah, uh, Freddie comes out as bi. But, but she, she, but she responds like, you, you know, you're probably not bi, you're probably just gay. Which I think was a real exchange between the two of them, at least what I read in the, uh, the book, the biography yeah, yeah, yeah. of Freddie Mercury. Mm -hmm. Although I guess this comes to, um, the trickier part of like a Queen movie or like a Freddie uh, biopic, which is, I think even all the way in the end, like he doesn't know like what he was. He wasn't really sure what to label himself, and that's fine, you know. So he yeah, exactly. Clearly, like he loved Mary Austin, but he also loved men. Mm-hmm. So. He actually loved Mary Austin so much that after he died, he left everything to her. Yep. Uh, with the excuse being, it, it would have all been yours anyway, darling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which, 
It's actually very sweet. Yeah. And of course, in the movie, as in real life, uh, he, he bought a house for both of them next to each other. Mm -hmm. So they could remain friends. Exactly. I, I love those little moments yeah. that they had with um, like with the turning on the light and everything. And yeah. I, I thought that was very sweet. Yeah. Yeah, you know, um, I mean, that's part of his life. Uh, part mm -hmm. of his uh, quirks, question mark. But yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, as he grows to kind of embrace his um, sexuality, he becomes embroiled mm. in like the early 80s, like party scene. Mm -hmm. um, he has like these wild, like, yeah, basically orgies. Um, mm -hmm. Not necessarily a lot of fucking going on, although probably there was, but just wild I'm pretty actions. sure there was. Yeah. He's, you know, dressed up in, like, this, like, ermine cape. <laughs> like, the bloody queen. <laughs> with a crown. Yeah, with a crown. So, calling him, uh, like, her royal majesty is here. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know. Yeah. Um, but this is also where um, tensions begin to rise with the band. Uh, musically, and also with uh, a change in Freddie's attitude. Because the person who's enabling him paul prenner he's mm -hmm. he's not you know he is in love with freddie but like he's not a good person right he kind of sees himself as like a, a svengali almost yeah see that's a that's a good word that we need to bring back svengali yes fuck did i just do a seinfeld bit <laughs> you might have. You might have. I think they talk about that. I think that they actually did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Man. Uh. <laughs> oh, here's a fun thing about Seinfeld is if you watch behind the scenes footage, uh, you know, all the bloopers and shit. Mm -hmm. uh, Michael Richards is extremely professional off cam. Huh? Like he is not Kramer at all. Like there, there, there there's one I forgot which clip it was like. Yeah, basically, um, like if, if I don't know who keeps fucking up, but like Michael R Richards is just like, can we please just just get the scene. And then when like the you know director says action, he's just like Jerry. <laughs> My balls are stuck in a vice. <laughs> That's actually kind of amazing that he's able like to switch back and forth Dude, like yeah, that almost yeah. on a dime. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's insane. Mm -hmm. Um. So yeah, d you know, um, things kind of go like tensions are pretty high with the band at this point and yeah uh, freddie also meets uh one of the other great uh loves of his life at this party even though in real life he did not but mm -hmm. um he begins to uh have just like a real conversation which he doesn't have with a lot of people beyond like probably mary austin mm -hmm. uh, with jim hutton 
And that's right. Yeah. Uh, Jim gives Freddie some advice to basically, you know, you gotta, you gotta love yourself first. You gotta accept who you are first and then like find Mm. people who are there for you, like family, you know, not just the hangers on or like the people who are, who may in all senses of the word care about you, but, um, are also using you. Exactly. No, I love that little bit he says at the end, you know, it's like, you know, you come find me when you find yourself. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of queer Irish people in this movie. Yeah, I've, <laughs> I've noticed that. <laughs> uh, Paul Prenner is just like saying, he's like, you know, I'm a, a queer, queer, uh, Catholic boy from Belfast and uh, just grew up hating yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Right. No, oh, yeah, that, there was that scene mm-hmm. uh, in New York uh, where uh, after their concert at the Garden, Paul, like, subtly informs uh, John Reed that, like, you know, there's been some talk that, uh, you know, like the folks at CBS want Freddie to do a solo album. And Paul says, like, you know, oh, maybe you should be the one to to bring it up. And so he does in the limo. And Freddie's like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, I never heard of this before. And literally throws him out onto the street. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's an act of betrayal, which under I'm sure, <laughs> under the bus, I'm, which I'm pretty sure never happened yeah. in real life. But, you know, for dramatic tension, let's go with it. <laughs> yeah. Part of me kept saying, but wait, this is Littlefinger. He's going to orchestrate a plan to... It's <laughs> like to get back at all those guys. Kind and I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, but wait, th- but I said, wait, this isn't Game of Thrones. Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, they're like the bands, you know, confused about which direction they want to go to. Brian wants more, you know, rock and rock and roll. So, so does Roger. Uh, Freddie wants more music to be played in, uh, in clubs. And I love that, like, as they're all three of them are arguing, like, John is just sitting in the corner, just like strumming along in his bass, you know, the dun 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 And it's like, holy shit, that's pretty good. Like, you know, we got to make a song out of that. So, anyway, um, they got uh they got that song done after you know uh, everyone realized it was pretty good um and yeah just to rep to, to really like hammer home the point that it's it's a song that replicates the energy of the clubs as um, mm-hmm. freddie uh w- said when he got into the studi- studio and yeah they played it over some footage of freddie going to gay clubs in new york uh yeah Pretty much, which to be fair, which, uh, which if you want to get like, you know, historically accurate around the, they could have played the song, don't stop me now, which yeah. is, <laughs> which was, uh, like his reasoning at the time for all going to all those, uh, gay clubs. It's like, you know, Hey, you know, don't stop me now. I'm having such a good time and having the ball. In fact, in the uh, video for don't stop me now, you can, see Freddie wearing a shirt for the uh, 
a popular underground gay club at the time called the Mine Shaft. Yeah. That's <laughs> um, <laughs> fun fact about Don't Stop Me Now as well. Apparently, it's um, I think it was Top Gear who did it, um, who said it, it was like one of the best songs to to drive to. And I don't know if mm-hmm. they meant cruising <laughs> when talking about that song, but yeah, because cruising <laughs> is slang for you know cruising for gay sex. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Know. I think uh, it was a, a Jeremy Clarkson or Richard Hammond or which one. I think they were just talking about like you know going out on an open road and just like you know this is going like hundred miles an hour. Yeah. Yeah, they're not they're not that self-aware. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. If they were, I don't think Top Gear would last as long as it has. Yeah. Um Yeah, so I guess this is the part of the biography where he kind of just like spirals into the dark place. And his drug habits yeah. kind of grow, you know, more out of control. Um, mm-hmm. He uh, becomes more openly mean to his uh, bandmates. And then, of course, uh, it collapses when uh, he announces that he got a $4 million deal with CBS to go solo. Right. That's right. But but before we talk about that, I want to talk about this one scene that uh, really like kind of stuck with me. Um, it's the scene where they're promoting the uh, album uh, Hot Space, which features uh, another one, Bite the, Bites the Dust and uh, Under Pressure. And instead of just promoting the album, the reporters are bombarding Freddie with uh, questions about his sexuality. And if you really look at it from like a cinematography perspective it's very uncomfortable a lot of like you know a lot of like tight shots and everything constant quick edits Mm -hmm. it's kind of like a um you know a bit of a um, like kind of like a like a psychedelic type of haze a bit where it's like you know as he's being bombarded like voices kind of like echo and like it's Mm -hmm. coming in and out and like they're focusing on different folks and yeah um it does really effectively like come across the um discomfort of being in something like that right it's like in the for the first time in the movie we see freddie as not being truly in control yeah. Like with this whole way, you know, he tries to, you know, def- he tries to deflect questions. He tries to use the humor, but to no avail. They just keep coming at him, coming at him. Yeah. And and like and like Brian, like you know, sensing his discomfort, is trying to like you know move the conversation in a different direction. Like you know, like anybody want to talk about the album at all? Mm-hmm. But that's you know, um, typical of like rock star press, or even just like. Um, uh any anyone famous where like oftentimes you have a press conference and like they don't ask anything related to what you want to talk about so you gotta you gotta be prepared for uh, bullshit like that 
and yeah it's it is taking a toll on like uh freddie mercury and um he's already starting to be a little unwell at this point yeah and right afterwards he announces to his uh bandmates that he signed the contract with a uh, cbs records the pro to produce his own solo album mm-hmm. for for four million dollars, which in nineteen eighty four, you know, that's not bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. <clears throat> anyway, he moves to Munich, right? Yeah, to work mm-hmm. on Mister Bad Guy, which um is also a pretty good album by itself. Um, yeah. Uh, it's got that great album cover too, by the way, where he's just kind of like looking at you and like saying, mm-hmm. hey. <laughs> <laughs> it's like literally him just saying, you yeah. So he's in a park and, uh, he's wearing, you know, a tank and aviators and he's just like, what's up? interesting fact about that uh that album there was supposed to be a number of uh duets on it between him and michael jackson yeah 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 um uh... um but there was conflict between uh conflict between the two of them because uh they were they did record a song called there must be more to life uh, than this but uh uh yeah, they butted heads constantly. Uh, Freddie dropped out because uh, <laughs> he didn't like the fact that uh, Michael's uh, pet llama was in the studio with them. And Michael dropped out because he didn't like uh, Freddie's constant drug use. Yeah. So, really, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> that's a good, that's a like, movie in and of itself right there. <laughs> yeah so well i guess maybe having michael jackson in the movie would be too much but um yeah, yeah you, you can't take the focus the, away uh, <laughs> uh the llama would have been a <laughs> nice addition <laughs> <laughs> so wait, where did they record oh they were in munich yeah yeah right? yeah mm-hmm Munich. Wait, so that that means Michael Jackson brought his llama all the way from Encino, California to Munich, Germany? Which probably is not surprising. (laughs) I'm... No, I'm not surprised at all. Yeah. Anyway, um... Oh, speaking of pets, um... Freddie Mercury is a well-known cat lover, and, um... In innuendo, he wrote a song about one of his cats. Um, actually, I think in News of the World, he wrote about Brian May's cats, um, who <laughs> unfortunately died during the recording of the oh. album. So it was like a, uh, yeah, sad song. Anyway, um, there's a lot of focus on uh, Freddie's uh, cats. Even in the opening where um, the movie, uh, you know, starts at the end, quote unquote, where it's like him getting ready for the Live Aid concert. And yeah, there's some zoomed in shots of uh, 
his cats eating. Uh, other times there's him like just like laying on a couch with Mary and the cats are being cats. <laughs> and um, there's one where he's, you know, later on in the movie where he's trying to get his voice up to snuff for um, Live Aid. And then he looks at his cats and is like, well, let's see you try to do better. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And he also talks about, like, after buying this giant house, um, all of his cats have their own room. Yeah. Some even bigger than, like, act- the actual, like, living rooms. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, uh, it, like, he's talking to Mary about it. It's like, oh, you know how she is. <laughs> Yeah. She's a diva. <laughs> she needs her own room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um so you know, uh this is at the point in the movie where um is a guy trying to put on a concert for the famine in Ethiopia. And, yeah, he's trying to get all these big names because, you know, that's how you get people to donate. And mm-hmm. Bob Geldof tries to get in touch with um, Queens management. Um, but, you know, with Freddie um, all the way in Munich, uh, Paul Prenner is, like, you know, withholding this news from him. Yeah. Because he wants him to finish the album and engage in more, uh, uh, in gay, more gay orgies. sex orgies and like, yeah, astronomic numbers of drugs. Yeah, like you literally like they pan by a table that's just nothing but cocaine on it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which I don't know, man. It's like it for us. Like that's bizarre, right? But the. The the 1980s were just like heaven on earth for rock stars. So they could just get pretty much anything they wanted at the drop of a hat. Pretty much. It was the era of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Yeah. Which, um, yeah, I guess it it does get um, kind of like the it all comes crashing down moment in the movie um, later on when uh, Freddie finds out he has AIDS. Right. But, yeah, and like he starts he starts to notice it when uh, like he's in the recording studio and he starts coughing and he looks at the tissue and there's some blood on it. Yeah. Um Yeah, so um it it gets to the point where uh Mary has to fly all the way to Munich and tell him that Queen's been offered a spot at Live Aid. Uh, they're going to be playing with all these great people and it's for a good cause. And he realizes that Paul was keeping this news from him. And yeah, eventually he cuts ties with Paul. And um, Right. Paul goes public about um, all the wild shit that they've been through. Right. Oh, and I hate that little dig he does at the end. Like, you know, like if Freddie Mercury were watching this right now, what were you, what would you say to him? And he's like, calls him, you know, calls him a frightened little packy boy. 
Yeah. And it's like, it's just like this entirely self-serving thing where he's like trying to cast himself as like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm always telling him like, uh, Freddie, don't, uh, you can't keep doing this or whatever. And um, Mm -hmm. even though he was the one like bringing in. Enabling this shit, yeah people from like Bergheim or something uh, getting ready for just like another session of snorting cocaine and like fucking Uh at his house where they're supposed to be recording. I know. But yeah. um, But he he tries to cast himself as the victim in all this. Like, Paul is saying, like, it, it just he's the one that's getting caught up in, like, the rock star excess, even though, you know, it's, it, it like, Paul is the one that's introducing Freddy to a lot of the more wild shit. Right. Um, so, the, the, at the same time, uh, you know, AIDS is all over the news, and uh, without... Uh, telling anyone else like he gets himself checked and yeah he he's got the aids virus and probably doesn't have much longer to live so mm-hmm. takes it as a time to reconcile uh with mm-hmm. his bandmates and uh you know they managed to get a last minute slot at live aid even though the deadline to be on the set was basically passed but yeah, it was it was touching when you know he talked to his family basically and mm-hmm. said like he had all this money and he had all these people, but he, making music with them just wasn't the same because like exactly because they were needed yes, the dynamic, you know, mm-hmm. um, needed like <laughs> it's like a John Deacon giving funny faces or Brian May, you know, saying like, oh, you got to go like this or like Roger Taylor sometimes just like screaming, like saying like, that's yeah. not how the song goes. But yeah, you know, the, he needed like Freddie needed that dynamic in order mm-hmm. to really have the best of himself. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And after a little bit of a, well, they ask him like to leave the room for, they ask him to leave the room first. And they, and I think it's uh, John asks him why it's like, you know, like, Oh, I just wanted to do that. <laughs> what's a, what's a group of type like bros if they don't like fuck with one another, uh, you know, <laughs> pretty much. Pretty but much. yeah. Um, eventually, he the band gets back together um in real life they more or less just like come out of hiatus what they don't address in the movie i I get like roger taylor at the same time also had uh his own project going on it was a band called the cross where he was the lead singer and i think guitar player so it wasn't like the rest of the band was doing nothing it was just like I think more or less they needed a break and even though the tensions were also high. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, they got back together um, and they rehearsed uh, for Live Aid. 
And mm-hmm. in the movie, this is where he told his band, like, you know, I've got it. Which um, didn't, uh, he, first of all, he didn't even know he had HIV until after Live Aid. Right. So, yeah. He knew he was sick, but he just didn't know he had HIV. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. He reconciles with his bandmates with uh, Miami Beach. <laughs> <laughs> their manager, yeah. yeah. Well, they're uh, first their lawyer turned manager. Yeah. Uh, reunites with, uh, well, finds Jim Hutton. <laughs> it's like, like do, do you have any idea how many Jim Huttons there are in London? Yeah, and um, reconnects with um, Mary as well. And most importantly, after, you know, basically his dad, being typical, uh, you know, conservative parent, like cutting ties with Freddie, reconciles with his family. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he, he's saying, like, uh, he's not out to disappoint his dad, like, you know, being a singer or being a rock and roll superstar. He's just trying to do what... Uh, what he does best and like he says like the Zoroastrian um it, like the like basically the foundations of the Zoroastrian faiths faith mm-hmm. you know good thoughts good words good deeds uh which was mm-hmm. the thing his dad said to him about being a man and his dad was uh, so touched that like he hugged his son for like the first time since probably Freddie was a boy right yeah that's also where I cried in the movie I was like damn me, me too. This is yeah. This is too much for me. <laughs> I know. Yeah. And then, you know, finally, you know, after he leaves, uh, he tells his family, you know, to put on the TV, and and it leads to possibly the greatest live performance ever. Yeah. Yeah. Like possibly uh, ever. <laughs> Uh, hold up. So yeah, um, the climax of the movie, and one I actually did not expect. Um, they recreate the Live Aid concert, mm-hmm. the entire set, and it is, yeah. Both viewings, everyone acted just like uh, they were at the show. It was just such a powerful moment. Yeah. Yeah. It's the first time I was like legitimately impressed with uh, Brian Singer. I know. It's it's like I didn't know where the uh, movie audience started and the theater audience uh, ended. It was that blended. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, he walks out on the stage, and when he sits on the piano, and the first notes of Bohemian Rhapsody starts to play, it was, uh, yeah, just. Yeah. It's like, I. 
I really can't describe like how I felt. It was just like in awe of this moment, you know. Mm-hmm. It enabled all of us, you know, who weren't actually there to witness it, to get at least the semblance of an idea of what it felt like to be at Wembley when they performed. Yeah. And it was also like, um, I've seen the live aid footage before. Like I have a bunch of like queen DVDs and videotapes. Um, cause my mom really loved queen too. Um, (laughs) but just like seeing it recreated in high def is insane. And I watched this in IMAX too. So it's mama Mia. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's like when you first step out and you just see that crowd, it's like you're getting goosebumps along with the along with the rest of the audience because it feels like you're actually on stage with them. Yeah. You get chills, your hair standing on end, and you just like the power in Freddie's voice, like... Mm-hmm. Brian May like strumming the guitar, like uh, John Deacon uh, plucking the strings, and Roger Taylor, of course, banging the drums. It's just like every beat, mm-hmm. every note, you're just like captivated. Even people yeah. who hate the movie, like they had to admit that this was an incredible moment. You know, it's absolutely it's impossible to like say like you you can watch this and come away saying like not saying that the live aid recreation was not a spectacle mm-hmm. absolutely yeah absolutely it, it like it unites fans and critics yeah together in in ways that very few movies and sometimes even biopics like rarely do. Yeah. (sighs) So yeah, it's really like, you know, the energy, the air, like the roar of the crowd Mm -hmm. and just like the band reintroducing themselves to this audience and like playing their hearts out. It's just, Amazing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And of course that's where the movie that's where it it ends. That's the uh, the final climax. But I think in my opinion the best part came afterwards where you just hear a cappella Freddie doing uh, Don't Stop Me Now. And, you know, the song's playing. They got the final uh, text crawl and everything explaining, you know, what happened the rest of his life. And then, you know, the song kicks into gear. And as the credits start rolling, everyone starts getting up to leave. All of a sudden, they start showing, you know, real, actual footage of Queen. And where I was in the theater, I just looked around. Everyone just stopped. 
mm-hmm. and saw what was happening on the screen. They just stopped and they started singing along and I'll never forget it. Like, you know, I'm just like looking around singing, you know, don't stop me, don't stop me, don't stop me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, don't stop me, don't stop me. Ooh, ooh, ooh. But I was amazed, like the staying power that Queen has. Like, you know, this song came out nearly 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. And not only does everyone know every single lyric of the song, but the fact that a song like that manages to not only enthrall, but captivate you into staying, like physically staying where you are. It, it, was, it was tremendous to me. It's something I'll, I'll never forget. Yeah, it's just, it's really well done. Like, just this magic that you feel, you know? Mm-hmm. I Yeah, I mean, I don't know what else to say. Although I do have to say, even though the movie ends there, the Queen Queen's story does not end there. And I do have to say, actually, some of my... First of all, my favorite Queen album hasn't been recorded yet. Innuendo. Um, uh. And um, we cannot forget uh, Queen uh, doing the music for Highlander. <laughs> <laughs> yes, which I wanted them to like do like a quick scene of them just going, like, you know, here we are. Born to be kings, we're the princes of the universe. <laughs> Although they do play a "Who Wants to Live Forever" at yes, some point. Yes, the... yeah. Born to be kings, the princes of the princes universe. We come to be I the rulers of you all. Oh, and they also should have done a scene where they discussed the uh, Flash Gordon album. Yes. Um, (laughs) Because also one of of the greatest classic um, Freddie Mercury, Freddie fucking Mercury moments is during the recording of Innuendo. Basically, to put it charitably, he's already on death's door. Like, even recording the other songs, he's... Like, he's weak, um, he's very unsure of himself, but he only got, you know, one thing left to do. The uh, show must go on. And yeah. he downed a bottle of vodka, I think. Just like what's left of a bottle of vodka. I think it was just about a shot. He downed that, and he said, let's fucking do it, darling. And he nailed it in one take. Oh my God, that's incredible. Yep. So yeah, um, obviously you can't fit everything into a biopic, but them closing out with the powerful, you know, return to form of Queen at uh, Live Aid was a great way to end it. Uh-huh. It was. Well, I feel like that was the perfect moment. That was the moment where it says, like, you know, here we present Queen, one of the greatest bands in the world, at the absolute 
height of their success. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah. Um, I don't even know uh, what else to say about it. <laughs> I, <laughs> I can't really say anything at this point. I feel like we've just about covered it all. And uh, I don't know. I guess I do want to say, though, I'm very disappointed with how some of the critics reacted to this film. Like, yeah. I, look, is it flawed? Yes. You know, are there historical inaccuracies? Absolutely. Does this movie feature a lot of cliches? You know, oh, for sure. But that doesn't change the fact that, you know, you are, it takes an, a special amount of courage and yes, balls to put to, just to put together a biopic about one of the greatest bands of all time. Yeah. You know, and, um, I mean, I guess there's also a lot of people who are, um, like, here's the thing, like, Brian Singer is a shitty person. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, if you, <laughs> if you've even, like, known a little bit of, like, you know, what's happened with, like, uh, the Weinstein effect, or even before that, like, you know about his lawsuit uh, when he made App Pupil, like, he he is like there there's something going on with him and like it, it hasn't been proven but uh pretty much everyone who's worked in hollywood said like yeah there's there's something with um Bryant singer and at some point a second director was brought in and um I think at times you can see like, you know, why things don't quite gel or like why certain edits were, were kind of like jarring. But overall, like if you take it, this movie, you know, top to bottom, front to back, like, yeah, it's it's flawed. But overall, it's such a wonderful experience. It's like. I don't know who else could, um, yeah, I don't know if, if like another person doing a movie about, um, Queen would have done, uh, something like this. Right. Cause think about it. Like this movie has been in production, uh, pre-production for years. There was a point where Sasha Baron Cohen was going to be Freddie Mercury. Yeah. And Thank God we did not get that. I know. <laughs> Just imagine, like, Borat or Bruno even, like, as no. Freddie Mercury. God, no, please. That's just a bad, bad, bad idea. God damn. It was, yeah. But they finally got it together and created, that's what this should be, you know, an experience. It doesn't have to be perfect. It's just something you have to experience. Yeah. Um, definitely, if there's an IMAX theater near you, watch it. Um, 
just because of the Live Aid uh, segment. Mm-hmm. For me, the rest of the movie doesn't make sense in IMAX because, like, well, <laughs> not it's not that, you know, th- there's not a lot of other concert footage beyond that. But, yeah, man, just, like, seeing it high def and, like, sound quality, just excellent. Right. Can't miss <sighs> out on that. No, you cannot miss out on that at all. And... We're actually physically telling you right now that if you haven't seen it yet, please, please go see it. Just drop, just drop whatever you're doing. Uh, drop whatever you're take doing off work. right now. <laughs> yes, go take off work. <laughs> this is, uh, take an extended lunch. How about that? <laughs> yes. Um, whatever business dinner you had planned, cancel that. Go see this film. Your wife and kids, leave them. <laughs> okay maybe not that far but, <laughs> but yeah it, it is something that you want to see in the theaters at least once and of course Absolutely. if you're you know the type of person who uh has like a pretty decent home theater set up when this comes out on uh you know home video uh mm-hmm. go ahead and crank up that volume yes Crank up the volume. Crank it up to 11. Yep. Uh, yeah. Um, I can't think of other like rock star films that would be as fascinating as this. Although, I, this has been like either in production, out production, who knows. But there are people who are trying to make the dirt into a movie or a TV show. And I would love to see that. I would fucking love to see that. I I would be first in line. (laughs) We would just be fucking like, yes, Motley Crue. Hell yes. Okay. So who would you get to play who? Um, I just get, just, just bring the band back together. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Sure. Why not? There has to be kind of like that self-aware moment where they, um, yeah, where they get like the members of Motley Crue to just be in that movie or TV show. <laughs> Although, I mean, Vince Neil has had so many plastic uh, surgery operations since then. It's like, <laughs> yeah. he's almost unrecognizable now. Yeah. Although I probably wouldn't want to see this uh, until like Axl Rose uh, pass away, uh, Guns N' Roses movie would be interesting too. It would, and you can literally get Slash to play himself because the man does not age. Slash, Slash was born like, with, looking exactly like that. <laughs> with, with the aviator shades and the top hat and the long hair. Yeah. Man, like when I saw them uh, on Thursday, I just can't like, you know, um, Duff McKagan looks old. Axl Rose, (laughs) old as shit. Slash, how do you look exactly the same? I don't. (laughs) It's Slash, man. I mean, what what do you want me to to say? I mean, I'm pretty sure he did as much drugs as... uh, Axel and Duff and everybody, but yeah, like man, 
But hey, uh, guns and fucking roses, man. Mm-hmm. Um, I I would also like speaking of Rob Halford. Um, Rob Halford, uh, Judas Priest movie that would be pretty interesting. Um, they pretty kind cool. of did with uh, a Judas Priest movie with a <laughs> rock star. A oh god, that fucking film, really? Yeah. It was supposedly Ugh. based on uh, Judas Priest getting that new young singer uh, who oh, was uh, yeah, yeah, in yeah. a Priest cover band in Ohio, uh, Tim Owens. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think Judas Priest realized, like, yeah, this is gonna, just going to be a disaster. Don't put us in it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Was that Mad Damon or Mark Wahlberg? Mark Wahlberg. Smarky Mark. Maki Mac. Fucking Maki Mac. <laughs> he comes from Pittsburgh in this film. Yeah. And. Oh, Lord. There you go. Um, yeah. Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, two thumbs way the fuck up. Oh, yeah. Um. The music, uh, Rami Malek, Live Aid, um, just can't miss. Absolutely. Exactly. Can't miss. Um, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I guess that's pretty much it. Um, if you're interested, you can watch the Live Aid footage of Queen on YouTube. Uh, it's come up on the most popular uh, or most recently viewed uh, tab because of the movie so you can compare and contrast and it's pretty it's pretty dang similar <laughs> and if you want to dig deeper into the life of uh, freddie mercury and a uh, queen there's a great book out there it's called uh, somebody to love the life death and legacy of freddie mercury yeah and yeah man uh freddie mercury uh still hope still resting in peace we miss you man Miss you, Freddie. Um, stay up there in heaven. I don't know, playing with your cats or singing your heart out in the heavenly choir. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Bohemian Rhapsody. Mm-hmm. So Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bohemian Rhapsody. He kind of slips into like Doctor Evil a little bit. I know, I know. It's hilarious. So yeah, um, next episode we'll go back to the James Bond shit, unless there's something else we want to talk about. But yeah, um, it's pretty much it from us. Uh, thanks for listening to another episode of Questions Like This. And yeah, I guess this time we're asking you, um, why aren't you seeing Bohemian Rhapsody? Exactly. What are you doing? What are you doing with your what life? What are you doing man? with your life? It's, what are you doing? You know, just take take a couple of hours to watch this uh, spectacle while it's still in the theater. Yes. Please do it. All right. Uh, my name is Aristo. And I'm Alex. And yeah, see you next time. Uh, Freddie fucking Mercury, darling. Touch the <laughs> Take sky. Take care, everyone. <laughs>
touch of the heavens.